Episode 19 of The Paul George Show welcomes Ryan O'Hara. I think of infertility as a gift to me and to my wife and I, to my my now four sons. If infertility wasn't a reality for us, I, I would never, I would never have experienced the gift of my four sons. And man, <laughs> I hope my, I hope my wife and I are a gift to them. I believe that we are. The Paul George Show. Welcome to the Paul George Show. This week, Paul welcomes Ryan O'Hara from St. Paul Outreach. He also discusses McDonald's at the Vatican, what may be the next big thing in the church's ministry to the homeless, and what a doppelganger is. And now, from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, the articulate Paul George. Yeah, welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today in studio with Adam Conk, all the way back from New York City, man. The New York City. The one and only. Yeah, the, the Big Apple. The largest city in the country. You survived. I did. Small and... town boy going to the big city. <laughs> yeah, but I'd actually been there before, so I knew a little bit. Last time I was there, someone stole my watch. Yeah? And this time, no watch stolen. It's still on my Did wrist. they steal it off your arm last yeah. time? Yeah, and I didn't know what was going on. That is amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, as bad as it is someone he stole it, I just ha- I got to have respect for someone who can actually take your watch while yeah. it's on your arm. Well, I'm glad you appreciate artists. That's talent. Mm-hmm. It really is. There's a lot of talent. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was our um, garage attendant, our mm-hmm. valet parker. Yeah. So I, I put some low reviews on that garage. Gotcha. But if, anyway. if, if I was going to review his his act, yeah. his art, I would high high. High reviews for his art, yeah, but moral Not character, right? <laughs> very, very low. Very poor manners. Yeah. Anyway, so Adam, do you have a doppelganger? I don't know because I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what that is? Doppelganger? No. A doppelganger? Did I say it right? Doppelganger? Yeah, doppelganger. Uh, do you? I have a lot actually. What? Okay, so you don't know what this is? No, I'm so no doppelganger is a word for your twin, your lookalike. <sighs> It's someone who looks like you, and you know people come up to you. It's like I saw your doppelganger. Is that a real word? It is a real word. You can look it up. Dang. Yeah. So apparently, I have many. Now I'm trying to think of of someone who looks like you, who would be your doppelganger. But maybe you could tell me now that you know what it means. Yeah. Well, I know a couple, but I don't think you would know them. They're very handsome fellows. Who? The the people. Okay. Can you tell me? You can't remember. (laughs) I can't remember. Okay. (laughs) But I've seen them. You've seen. I've seen them around. All right. So I got. I got posted with this video probably about five times of people saying this guy looks like me. Really? Now, I get people all the time telling me that they saw someone like me. Like, my sister sent me a picture of a guy at an Atlanta Braves baseball game on TV just in the crowd. She snapshotted it, sent it to me. It looked just like me. It kind of freaked me out. I was like, how can I be there and here at the same time? That's crazy. Yeah, so this guy uh, is some German guy, but when you look at him on video, he's on YouTube, doesn't, doesn't he look like he, me? He does look like you. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen you with that much 5 o'clock shadow, but I, be, I imagine that's it. I know. Square jaw, big mm-hmm. nose. I, I guess that's <laughs> apparently the characteristic. So he, people are saying that he's my doppelganger, but it's funny because he does these videos. Uh, you could play it real quick. I tell you, Jennifer, she is, she is really a party pooper. Does that sound like me? No. Really? Really? <laughs> So he talks in this German accent, but if you look at his picture, 
Yeah. There he is. It's like, it kind of freaks me out. It looks just like me. Well, apparently almost 9 million people know this guy because they've watched this party pooper video. So. Jennifer. She's a party pooper. <laughs> so I got to think of your doppelganger. Well, do you remember... I'm going to date myself. But do you remember the show Numbers? This TV show? No, I'll date myself and say no because I was before that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, there was a couple of farts. Well, there's this guy on that show, and I don't remember his name, but thick eyebrows, handsome, handsome. Very. <laughs> that, that's me. Uh, this is a new word. Now, what do, you, what do you think it is about you? I mean, do you have, like, so many ancestors in you that, like, people all over the world will resemble you? What is it about Paul George that makes you so... I, I think it's, like, the European square face, big nose. I, I really don't know. I have no idea. But you spelled doppelganger, D-O-P-P-L-E, G-A-N-G-E-R-S. Is this a real thing, or are you just pulling... I'm not joking with you. Look it up. And people say this? I, at a, I was at a get-together about three weeks ago, and... I haven't seen this girl. Uh, it was a friend that my wife went to college with. Came, hey, I haven't seen you in forever. She goes, oh my gosh, I saw your doppelganger today at the grocery <laughs> store. That's her first words to me. See, I would be very confused if someone said that to me. Luckily, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I know what that is. <laughs> I mean, do you feel less special because other people look like you? No. No. No, I don't really. I don't really care. So you're not like one in a million, you're like one in a thousand? I don't know what I am. <laughs> I'm one and one. <laughs> That's right. I am me, but apparently have people who look like me or I look like people. Yeah. So, But you're so unique, you don't even have one. That's right. I'll have to get a picture up. I, I'm going to work on this week finding one for you. But, okay, so I am into heartwarming stories. So I'm not a very, you know, super emotional. But You have a but, side, though. But I have a, side, have a side, and particularly stories that make an impact and a difference. They get me all the time, like these military videos when when a military parent mm -hmm. comes home and they yeah. surprise their family. There was one where where a dad was dressed as a baseball catcher, and his kid's throwing out the first pitch and he takes the mask off. <laughs> Dude, I lose it. I mean, it, it's <laughs> awesome. But there was one particularly uh, coming out into the new year uh, over the holidays that I saw, and for Christmas. This girl, uh, which this will tie into our guest today, who I'm super excited to talk to later on in the next segment. Uh, so she she's an older girl now, a teenage girl, um, who is being fostered by these parents. And so for a Christmas present, she her mom her uh, you know foster mom opens up the present and says, "Mom, will you adopt me? Will hmm. you be my mom?" And you imagine getting that for Christmas? Wow. Yeah, so of course the mom loses it and the dad's losing it and and then it's just this amazing video. And I love these things of people who who um are just trying to do good things in the world, right? Who have a heart uh, and a passion for for love and for Christ. And so to see this girl who's been without a family all of a sudden uh come into this family and then she asked to be adopted, you know. And so it's this great video. Well, how does the uh, how does the internet respond to these things? Because I don't know, it, like when you get cats or party pooper videos or something, yeah. they spread really quickly. Do people also share these really heartwarming videos? I don't know. It's got I don't know what is a good view, but uh, it's got almost three million. Hey, not bad views. Yeah, it's this video called "You're My Mom." Wow. Yeah, and it's just great. I mean, I I love these things. So. Um, yeah, so I'm, we'll talk to Ryan O'Hara in the next segment interview. I'm super excited to talk to him. 
but I know you heard in this past year, last year, there was this controversy that um, they were putting a McDonald's in Vatican yes, City. Yes, I you, heard about this. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so apparently it's going to happen, or it did happen. Now, McDonald's is trying to be super, you know, you know, I guess, team member with the Vatican. So the architecture is all going to be the same. It's going to kind of blend in. Is it in. really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good news. Uh, and if you've ever been to, have you ever been to Europe? Unfortunately, no. Okay, so it, so fast food restaurants are a lot different there. So a McDonald's there is more like a, um, instead of a fast food, it's more like what you would call a counter service, where you actually kind of walk in and order it take you know it's it it's a lot cleaner it's just looks different okay mm-hmm. so when we think of mcdonald's here super fast super quick um in and out there it's a little bit different mm-hmm. of course europe slows down a little bit which i like that yeah they take great. naps during the middle of the day that's great which i never can do but i would like to start <laughs> when you like that yeah i'm afraid i'd have to move to europe to do it but you would uh, american people just wouldn't deal with it but we should move <laughs> to that we should slow down a little bit uh, so anyway, so here here's a great, particularly during this time of winter. So if you look at Rome, Rome's got about the same climate as we do down here in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our winters are about the same, our summers are hot, but it does get cold, humid and humid cold. And so the churches in the area um, are letting the homeless in. And so they're putting beds uh, in their churches. And I know most people say, well, that's what churches should do. Well, let me ask you a question. How many churches do you know that have beds in the aisles and in the space between the pews and the sanctuary? Really? How many do you None. know? None, right? And they're doing this, huh? Is and this a new thing? or? Is... Uh, yeah. They're, I mean, I don't know how long they've been doing it, but mm-hmm. they're opening up, and particularly during the winter season, uh, and they're putting up like beds, like cots. And, you know, not all day, but at night. Yeah. Until 8 a.m. And so people, they can come in, get a hot meal, sleep, use a restroom, and then, and then you know, the, the church opens for its normal sort of activity. That is fascinating. And it makes sense because there is a lot of space there. Yeah. That when no one's there. Yeah. And our Lord is there. And, know, I, and I would say, yeah, of course, that's what churches should do. But not many churches do that, which is interesting yeah. to me because we don't. We want us to feel safe, and we want to feel comfortable. These are people in need. Um, so here, anyway, here's where the McDonald's things come in, is because uh, McDonald's in the Vatican um, you know, area, city, is offering to help feed the homeless. Really? Yeah, so they're partnering with the local church, or church is, to offer meals, uh, a certain amount of meals a week uh, to feed the homeless. Wow. Yeah. I have new respect for So there's all this up in arms about McDonald's being there, and certainly I see the pros and cons of it, right? Um, but they're, they're, it's almost like they're, they're entering in a little bit to the mission of what Vatican City is all about. That's so interesting to me. and I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that'll inspire some churches around the world and maybe some restaurants to consider that because it's a problem in every major city. I think it gives a new meaning to Happy Meal. <laughs> Paul. You're incorrigible. It, it was good. That was good. That was a good. I'm one. thinking about your doppelganger, though. I really <laughs> am. I, I really am. Anyway, great show today, Adam. We'll come back. Excited about our guest, Mr. Ryan O'Hara. It's Paul George Show. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. It's Paul George. Great to be with you today. Uh, excited to have our guest today, Mr. Ryan O'Hara, all the way from uh, Minnesota. Ryan, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks. Yeah, dude. Thanks for taking the time. You and I go way back when we lived in the desert together, Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> yes, um, we did in uh, in Mars, as I like to call it sometimes. Yeah, or the surface of the sun. It's pretty pretty hot out there. Um, so you, Ryan O'Hara at Ryan O'Hara, uh, or your website, rhinohara.org. You work for an organization ministry called SPO, which we'll get into, um, a little bit, but so many things to talk to you about, Ryan. Um, you have so much to offer and, and we go way back and the, and the last time when, when we were in Arizona, uh, was years and years ago, you and your wife, um, were, were in the foster care system. Uh, which I found I found so unique and and awesome that that you guys were doing that and so many things have happened and we'll get into it but but what led you guys to the foster system? Yeah, you know, so we were we were married in uh, 1998. Uh, we moved to Arizona in 2001. We were living in Missouri, you know, when we first got married, but then moved to. AZ in 2001 to do some ministry there. And that's when, you know, you and I would have first right. crossed paths. But mm -hmm. the next uh, few years after that, um, it, it's when it became really clear that we weren't going to be able to have kids of our own. Hmm. And when we found that out, um, obviously that was heartbreaking. Right. Um, that was a really hard, hard thing to find out. And it was pretty sure. I mean, it was pretty like, you know, this probably isn't going to happen. Hmm. Um, kind of the typical way. And so, um, it, at the same time, we just had a firm belief though, that, um, that we were supposed to be open to life. That was sort of the whole idea of, of, um, getting married. And, you know, we say at our wedding day that, you know, we'll accept kids lovingly, you know, and, right. um, and so we wanted to be open to that and try to figure out, you know, how to, how to best be open to that. And yeah. so we started to look at, you know, private adoption or we went, you know, to look at international adoption. And I, you know, remember going to Mexico on mission trips with my wife, you know, when we were there in AZ and, you know, we'd go into these, you know, orphanages and my wife would just like, can we just sneak a few of these kids under <laughs> our coats you know, right. and just, you know, sneak out. And, um, but the deeper conviction came where, you know, we saw that, that there were people, you know, lying up to, to, you know, do international adoption or lining up for private uh, domestic adoptions, but we weren't seeing a big line uh, in front of us for people to line up uh, to take in kids in foster care wow. and yeah. perhaps, you know, adopt, adopt through foster care. And in, yeah. in Arizona at the time in Maricopa County, I think there was something like 4,000 kids uh, waiting for placement. Gosh, gosh that, that broke our heart, and we said, you know, um, that's really scary, kind of a big unknown. We don't know what that's like, but um, we're, we're, we're open to it, and um, let's go for it. And, you know, so. That's so interesting. You know, yeah. uh, you know they have that song um, that says, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours. And, you know, I can't imagine um, y'all's heart being broken when you found out that you couldn't have kids of your own, right? But. But you stayed steady right. in saying, you know, we're supposed to be open to life, and we don't know what that means. What would you say to encourage maybe people who are listening 
who are struggling with fertility in their marriage and their relationship. And they're like, we're, we've lost hope and we don't know what to do. Yeah. I always say God has, God has a plan mm. that I, I, I actually, I, I think of it. It took me a long time to get to this place. We've been at this for about 12 years, you know, being foster parents and now adopting four sons through foster care. But I, I think of it as a gift. I, I really do. I, I think of infertility as a gift mm. uh, to me and to my wife and I, um, to my my now four sons. Right. Um, if infertility wasn't a reality for us, I, I would never I would never have experienced the gift of my four sons. And I, mean, <laughs> I hope my I hope my wife and I are a gift to them. I believe that we are. But it's been a gift to be able to um, receive something um, extraordinary uh, from God. Now, that's not to downplay the, the, the grief, the heartbroken reality mm-hmm. that is infertility, right. but it's not a dead end. And I think that's probably the thing I would say is it's a doorway to, um, doorway to God's kind of unique and beautiful and incredible plan that he has for our lives. I, lo- I love what you say there. It's not a dead end. And I think oftentimes when we feel hopeless, you know, in an area like this, infertility or hopeless in our marriage or in a relationship or in, in something in our life, we feel like, ah, oh, this is a dead end, you know, sort of like the Israelites being at the Red Sea and they're thinking it's over, it's right. a dead end. And, and God opens a door, God has a miracle. And I love what you're saying there is that it what seemed like a dead end at the time God was yep. able to flip on its head, and, and then you were able to see the, the beauty of what could be. So in your own discernment as a couple, right. you, you were led to, you know, <clears throat> you know, fostering kids, but you didn't necessarily know that you were going to adopt, right? Well, we, we went in with the hopes that it may turn out that way, but, mm-hmm. you know, of course you never, you never know. And, you know, kids are placed in your home. If you're in foster care, any good foster parent knows that the goal is reunification with with the birth family like mm. that's that's job number one gotcha. for foster parents the goal is to reconnect if possible if, if parents are doing what they need to do uh to reconnect uh, a birth family and you know we experienced the we experienced that too in fact we experienced that more than we you know we probably had you know seven or eight other kids who were in our home who we were able to help see you know get reconnected with birth family uh, in many of those instances. And that's great. That was the, that's the absolute goal. But, but some of those, uh, foster kids who came into our home, it became clear pretty soon that, uh, reunification with birth family wasn't going to happen. And we were open to, uh, we were also at the same time then open to adoption. And we went from kind of zero, zero kids to four kids in about two years. And over the span of another year, all four of them had been adopted. And it was just a wild, you know, kind of three years. That's it was crazy. A kind of instant, instant family. You know, but yeah, but yeah so it, it, the goal is the goal is reunification. But uh, in in our case, we were also open to uh, adopting if it became possible. Wow, you had kids faster than uh, my counterpart Adam. Um, so uh, <laughs> the uh, how hard was it bringing kids into your home, loving them, and then and then letting them go? You know, like seeing them leave. I know part of that is the mission, right, and and reconnecting yeah. with their family. But I'm I'm sure there's a certain love and connection that you you have with those kids, right? Because you you can't you can't parent um, you can't parent someone without um, kind of giving your heart and your life and putting everything on the table. Um, 
it's not just like we're we're grown-ups who are providing you know food and shelter for you you know it's not that's not like the exchange the exchange is i'm here to lay my life down for you Mm -hmm. no matter what happens and i I remember one instance i won't go into the whole story but the, the first little boy who came into our home um we we thought it was kind of moving towards uh adoption and then all of a sudden birth dad comes into the the scene and and gets his act together and does a great job and it all happened really quick and it, that was probably the hardest one in part because it was the first one right. but because things were kind of going one way and you're opening up your heart to maybe this is a lifelong thing to now it's not going to happen and I, I remember that was particularly uh, tough. Um, but you start to learn that, you know, um, ki- kids are, are lovable <laughs> just because, uh, you know, they are who they are. And, right. Um, we, wanted to, we wanted to serve them in the best way we could. And the only way to really do it is to kind of extend yourself completely, you know, at the risk of, of being hurt. And we felt like that was, it was mm-hmm. worth that risk because otherwise you can't really be affected. You close yourself off to what they really need. Right. Now, this may be going to be a weird question, but, you know, when I look at you and your life, and I know that you wouldn't say this about yourself, but there's, like, mad respect for the way that you're able to love and be Christ to these kids. You know, it's one mm-hmm. thing for me to love my kids who are my own DNA, uh, but what is yeah. it for you um, <clears throat> to bring this fatherly love to, to kids that, yes, they're your own now, uh, they have your name, yeah. but not they don't have your DNA, and, and yet you right. love them the same. Like like pushing through that and just being Christ to them. Yeah, well, it's gosh, that's a it's a good question. Um, it's been hard. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll tell you the the thing that's been the biggest mystery for me is is that when when I when I interact with them. Um, I know that I, I know that there are going to be things about them just because, uh, you know, I am not their biological father. Right. There are going to be things about them that is an absolute mystery to me. Um, there's so much more, uh, to, to kind of who we are. We, we are a product of, of our birth family. We're a product of our birth family's family and so on, you know, and, and now we're a product of our current environment. Right. And, um, the truth is, is that my boys actually don't, you know, we, we don't have like a lot of natural uh, common interests, you know, uh, like, and, and that's been this, this weird kind of, this weird kind of thing. Like my boys just, you know, they don't necessarily look like me and they don't have maybe, you know, some of the same kind of things that they're interested in or whatever. And, and, and that's been hard, like just being able to, being able to, to, uh, just adjust to, to just how unique and different they are. But I probably, the biggest thing with this, Paul, is that we had to relearn what it means to be parents. Hmm. And that, like, we couldn't bring just the regular kind of approach in, in our early years as foster parents and adoptive parents, and it just blew up. It, did, it didn't work. And yeah, it re- because it of reminds the, ba- me, the background. Yeah, it reminds me yeah. of the way Christ loves us all different. And we come back, Ryan, we're going to get right back into this. It's Paul George Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Talking with Ryan O'Hara, Minneapolis, Minnesota, RyanO'Hara.org, or on Twitter, at Ryan O'Hara. Works for a ministry out there called SPO, St. Paul's Outreach, which we'll get into a little bit. Uh, but, but Ryan, you kind of had me intrigued with, with this idea that you and your wife had to shift gears as far as what you knew about parenting. And, and when I think about it, yeah. I, I mean... I think about it through the lenses of the way Christ loves us. We're all in a sense his adopted sons and daughters, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. none of us have his his DNA and, and his – like like literally he loves us authentically, intimately, unconditionally, no matter what. And when I look at you and your wife, this is what you guys have really had to learn to do through the lenses of the way Jesus loves. Yeah. Yep, and so I, I kind of look at so we've been at this for twelve years, and I kind of look at it in three stages. Like the first four years, we did everything wrong <laughs> and made all the mistakes you can imagine, and it was hard. I mean, yeah. we had you know a four-year-old, a three-year-old, you know, a four-year-old and and a two-year-old and a one-year-old and like a three-day-old, wow. and we were like all diapers all the time, and then just chaos and with our older son as he was, yeah. you know. So that's parenting in then, general. Then right? I was going to say the next, yeah, that is, that is. But then what happened is the next four years, we started to learn everything new. And then now the last four years hmm. is we start to put it into practice. So I feel like for the first eight years, we were just figuring it out right. uh, because the regular kind of stuff just doesn't work with kids who have experienced trauma or they experienced, they came from a place where they couldn't trust their parents. Hmm. And if you don't have that foundation, you don't have anything to build on. And so we've had to build that foundation even now uh, over, you know, these 12 years. And it's been quite a run. Well, if, you know, someone's listening and whether they have adopted kids or foster kids they're working with or their own kids where trust has been broken, right? Um, yeah. What, what would you say yeah. as, as a parent? How, how do you earn and grow that trust with with your kids? Yeah, man. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think that it comes with one of the lessons that I've had to really learn. The number one lesson is that I've had to learn is that I can't control, and this is true for any parent, right? But, uh, but particular in our case, you know, I can't control anyone's behavior other than my own. Mm. And so what they do is are their actions and are their behaviors. I can't control it. What I can control is how I respond to them. Hmm. And that's where the shift happened is that my sons had kind of there. I I realized that there was a tether between their actions and my emotions. Hmm. And once the Lord said, you know what, we need to cut that tether so that they can go crazy, they can do whatever they're going to do, they can throw stuff, they can hit stuff, they can say stuff, but but Dad is going to be in control of himself, because mm-hmm. that's the only thing he can control. And so now they, now they can live in a less chaotic environment, because Dad is, in a sense, in control of mm-hmm. himself. Now, not, not perfect, right? But um, there... There, there's finally now maybe a, play, a, a more peaceful, um, a peaceful environment where dad isn't, you know, going off the handle because his sons are, are doing, you know, X, Y, Z, and P. Right. And so 
that that's probably been the biggest thing. It's just learning self-control. I know that sounds so basic, but that's been foundational to be able to create a place of love, a place of trust, and a place of kids having confidence that mom and dad and, you know, this is a good thing, and they're not going to go crazy no matter what I do. Right. No, and it, that's something they needed to learn. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, you know, maybe it sounds basic, but it's so needed. I think if there's any parent who's listening right now can relate to you and what you're saying, I know I can. Because how we respond to situations yeah. really determines where the next step goes with your kid, right? Or even with your spouse. Right. It's like if, if I'm reacting out of emotion, I'm out of control, I'm not consistent, right. then it's only going to make matters right. worse. And exactly. I, I've had to learn that in my own life with my own kids and, and parenting is the way I respond with my own emotions is huge. And, and certainly there's times where I don't do that well, you know? Right. 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 And that, that was my, that was probably the number one lesson that I learned. And, and the irony was it hit me in the middle of, uh, we were on a trip down to Kansas city from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and we were driving kind of through, through the night. Um, it was about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. My oldest son was in the furthest back part of the, the van and he thought it would be a funny joke to un, unbuckle uh, his younger brother's car seat. And we kind of had to make a quick stop. And my younger, you know, his younger brother's car seat went flying and in the car. Right. And, of course, Dad, I, I, here I am in the passenger seat. And I, you know, get up out of my passenger seat in the car, you know, go back and, you know, rah, 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 you know right, right. right in, in my son's face. Because he, he made a terrible choice, but right. he was just playing a joke, you know, right. but it was on top of all the other things. Yeah. Well, and the irony really hit me was I was listening to, I was listening to like a, like a Christian sermon on anger and just the irony of going, what's going on? Like this message isn't impacting me because I'm still doing this. And just the sheer irony of it broke something in me that said something needs to change. And that's when, that's when the Lord revealed to me that this tether was there between their actions and my emotions. And yeah. he invited me to say that your worth, Ryan, your value isn't connected to how your kids behave. You are valuable no matter what your kids do. Hmm. And that was like a light yeah. that I, I had to hear from the father to become a father for yeah. me to become a father. Yeah. And, and that was life changing for me um, back, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. I think a lot of times parents, take too much ownership of their kids, the good and the bad. And, you know, it's like their good (laughs) defines us and their bad defines us. And the reality is, is that God defines us and we just have to do the best we can. But ultimately they're these little human beings who become adults. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just responsible for helping them, you know, be that the best they can be. But, you know, it, it doesn't define who, who we are. And I think that that's so great because, you know, I don't know if you found for you, but at, at the root of maybe those responses and that anger and that frustration is just this feel, or this feeling of being out of control, you know? Yep. And when, when we know that God's in charge and he's in control, we can step back, right? And not be so tethered, as you said, emotionally yep. to what's happening. That's right. That's right. And then there's freedom. There's freedom there. And I had to. Be, I I wasn't free uh, for you know a handful of years. I'm still still working on that. There's all these little teeny strings, right? But 
Um, but overall, there's just a there was now a new sense of freedom in in who I was as because I was I was really just responsible at the end of the day for for me and how I responded to what's around me. Right. And then it becomes um, I, I'm I'm just a better I'm just a better dad in the middle of chaos, and right. that's that's gonna happen. Every dad experiences chaos. Absolutely. You know, I think if we're doing it right in part, you know, but. Um, so yeah, that, that's been, um, that's been an incredible part. That's been the gift ultimately probably of, of, of infertility is that God has used it to be the, the one vehicle to, to transform me even more into his image and likeness wow. in a way that perhaps, uh, perhaps just, you know, my wife and I having our own kids wouldn't have put us in the right kind of situations, perhaps, I don't know, but wouldn't have put us in these right kind of situations where God is going to impress even deeper how much he loves me, but also how much more he wants me to become like his son. And he's going to make it possible even right here and right now. Yeah. I don't think oftentimes we think of situations, particularly adversity in that light, like like God is using this to make me holy, to transform me, to be more like him. You know, we look at these situations no matter how hard they are, and, and we certainly understand that, uh, we just look at it as like, this is just bad. This is going to be make me worse. And what God wants to do is use that situation to make us even better. Talking to Ryan O'Hara, at Ryan O'Hara on Twitter, ryanohara.org. Uh, you do a blog, you have a website, and, and people can follow you there. We have a couple of minutes. You work for this organization called SPO, St. Paul's Outreach. Give me a quick lowdown on what you guys do. Right. So what we're primarily doing, uh, we're in eight different states uh, and 15 different campuses around the country. You've got our start here in Minnesota. But really what we're doing is we are building Catholic communities uh, on these various campuses. College campuses. And we're aiming to first, yeah, aiming on college campuses with college students, aiming to awaken faith and then help lead, um, lead students who have begun a relationship with Christ uh, into spiritual maturity and um, kind of the unique thing that I think we're doing that that God's sort of given us to do is is to live 24 uh, 7 with college students and so we have households SPO kind of establishes households and has staff members on these in these houses and then students are a part of our household environments gotcha. men, men's households and women's households so it's like a 24-7 modeling and mentoring kind of immersive approach to campus ministry. So it's it's real discipleship in the everyday life. So you live together, you pray together, journey together, but you live, no, they, you know, they live normal right. lives as college students, but there's this mentorship and, right. and, and teaching of what it means to, to live for Christ in the everyday. That's right. Man. That's right. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to connect like, you know what you know your spiritual life isn't a bubble it's not a compartment it's not a box it's meant to inform every decision you're making 24 7 and then it's supposed to inform not just you know during college but it's actually supposed to give you a vision for the rest of your of your life vocation career service right you know kingdom etc and and that's what i think we're helping college students to kind of uniquely you know grab onto is that integration of their faith into their life man that's awesome ryan Thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much, Paul. It's an honor to be with you. All right, man. God bless you. 
right. Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Great to be with you. Awesome interview. Adam Conk, you've been over there all quiet. Oh, man. What an interview. Ryan O'Hara. Yeah, you're sitting over there in the corner. Soaking it in, man. Little dunce hat on. Contemplating. <laughs> I was in timeout. <laughs> you're in timeout. Uh, so what'd you learn from the oh, show? Paul, well, being a parent, I, his his number one thing he would tell new parents uh, was, I took that in, man. Yeah, um, good know, advice. Having control over yourself first. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to work on that. I learned two things from the show. Two? Okay. Yeah. First thing I learned is you have no idea what a doppelganger is. But now I do because you're an educator. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't know. And you have homework to find out who's... My doppelganger? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's your homework because I don't care. (laughs) But you care. Yeah. And the other thing I learned today is that Ryan had more kids and diapers than you did at one point. That's true. Which is impressive. That's kind of hard to imagine. Yeah. Because you have one of those 12-seater vans type thing. Yeah, but I've only had two kids in diapers at once. Sounds like he had three or something. So Yeah. Yeah, when the conks pull up, it's kind of like a clown car where <laughs> the clowns keep coming out. You're like, where are they coming from? <laughs> they just keep coming out. Yeah, when the conks pull up, they just keep coming out. You're like, oh. The kids are great. Love kids. Yeah, you're awesome with them. You're a great parent. Oh, It's a parent. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Oh so anyway, how about those uh, six-pack of questions? <laughs> Question. All right. So you and Ryan talked about how y'all met in Arizona. You said you lived in the desert. Mm-hmm. What the heck were you doing there? And uh, where exactly? I was still trying to figure out what I was doing there. It was so hot. Right. But here's here's the great thing. If you ever want an easy job, mm-hmm. be a weatherman in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> hot and sunny today. Every day. Okay. So let me just give you um, sort of a, an idea of this. So in Louisiana, where we live, it rains annually around 50 to 60 inches mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. Okay? It's normal, right? You're not depressed about it. It's no. just normal. Sounds good. In Arizona, seven inches. Cool. Yeah, it's it's warm and sunny. So it's nice. It's actually nice. But so what I was doing there is I was uh, working as a youth minister at a church out there, and Ryan was working for an organization called Youth Arise, and we connected, and so yeah, long time ago. But uh, yeah, when, when we bought our little house, we had cactuses, really, cacti real cactus cacti. in the yard. Nice. It was like it was like night and day experience. Did you me. ever hurt yourself on the cactus? Like run into? Well, it? they have these things. I don't know if you know about this. They're called jumping cactus. No. Yep. So they're these little, you know, spurs on not the swaro cactus, which is like the you know, the big, tall cactus that you would see like in the mm-hmm. Western, the low-lying little cactus things, they have these spurs on them and they, they kind of pop off of them and they'll, they'll jump on you and stick to you. What? Yeah. That sounds terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you like You're it. like, how'd they get on me? You're like, it jumped. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jumping cactus. All right, question number two. Yeah. So Ryan adopted four children and had many more foster kids that went back to the birth families. Uh, what's something you learned from his witness, not just today, but you've known him for quite a while, about loving your own kids? What's something you learned from him? About Man, loving your own okay, kids? Uh, if he can love other kids, not his own, okay, they're, they're his own now, but he's able to love as Christ does to to people who he just had to bring into his own home, right? Strangers, mm-hmm. at some point they were a stranger. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking if he can love that way, 
why can't I love my own kids, you know, at times that way? And so it's a real challenge for me to really step back and, and if I can, and to be Christ to those in my home, right? And as he said, to not be tethered emotionally and responding all the time. And so I certainly want to love other people um, and strangers and, and all those things. But I do want to love my own family the way he's trying to love his own. Yeah, it's something. I remember hearing some advice from uh, someone that if you're ever getting really frustrated with your kids, just imagine they're someone else's kids, and it might actually calm you down. <laughs> I would just send them home then. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go home. Go home. Go home to your <laughs> other home. That's what I would do. Wow. All right, number three. No, you wouldn't? No, I wouldn't. I would. Number three. He said the first eight years of parenting was just figuring it out. Can you relate to that? Amen. I would just say amen to that. Mm-hmm. Because there is no manual. You know, I remember when our first child was born, which is actually in Phoenix, Arizona. And I remember looking at the doctor who was a friend of ours that worked at the church, and I said, where's the manual? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, does the manual not come with the baby? Everything else you get in life, there's a manual. Put it together, whatever. And when it comes to parenting, there is no manual. There's no black and white. There's no you know, certain way. Every kid's different. Um, and certainly there's principles and things that you can do well. And he gave some great advice but I would say not only the first eight years we figured out, I, I think that we're still trying to figure it out, you know, because mm. kids get older and they change and all of a sudden you got teenagers and then college kids. So you kind of evolve and change. But I would say one of the keys to parenting is is personal growth, learning to grow uh, as a parent through each season of life with your kids. Mm. I've never even changed a diaper before I had a kid. I never even held a baby. Really? Yeah. Wow. You just go around holding people's babies? <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. That's not what guys do. You're like in a store, be like, oh, let me give me that your baby. baby. Let me give hold. me that baby. But girls grow up, they like babysit and they hold people's babies and right. stuff. Guys just don't do that. Right. Well, now you're doing great with the babies, Paul. The babies. All right, number four. So I'm sure you've thought about this, as I have, especially when you meet people like Ryan. But the question of, is God asking our family to adopt children or to do foster care? So how... What are some tips? Because I think people will be asking themselves after this interview. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what if God's calling me to that, even though I, we can have our own, you know, DNA kids? Right. Uh, what are some tips as far as actually discerning that? Well, first of all, I, I love what you talked about infertility and the struggle there. And I think there are people who are listening or know people who struggle with infertility, and it is very sad, and, and it is hard. But I love his story of how they turn that into say in a prayer of saying, God, what do you want us to do if we're called to be open to life, what does that look like for us now? Because mm. what we thought it was is different. And so they begin to pray and discern, God, what does that look like for us? What does being open to life look like for us? And they thought it would maybe have been traditional adoption. And then it led them to the foster care system. And then now they have four adopted sons. And so for someone out there, whether they have kids or they struggling with fertility, uh, I think, you know, literally going to the Lord and just discerning it praying about it, surrendering that desire or that lack of desire and say, Lord, you know, I want to be open. And if this is something that you want us to move forward with, begin to open up doors and put a desire in there that moves us forward. And that's what happened with Ryan and his wife. What they thought was one type of adoption led them right into the foster care system, which which has been nothing but a blessing for them. And so I, I don't think a lot of people actually really pray and discern things. And I think this is an important decision for people to really pray and discern and then seek out, then begin to practically seek out options. What does 
domestic adoption look like? What does foreign adoption look like? Um, what is the foster care system? You know, so so then seek out the options, get some information, and begin to continue to pray and allow God to open those doors. And who knows what he'll do, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff, Paul. All right, number five. Let's go back in time, Paul. If you had to be adopted by a childhood friend's parents, so think back like fifth grade yeah. or sixth grade, mm-hmm. and there was a family that you had to join other than your own, which one would it be? Man. That's a that's a good question. Um, <laughs> that that that's a really good question. I would, uh, hmm, a good friend of mine. Um, there was there was a friend of mine in high school who's, you know, my parents were divorced, and and so I would I would love to go and have dinner at their house because they all sat around together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, had a meal and, and laughed and always thought that, that was kind of cool. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I get married one day and that and that's God's will for me, I want to make sure that this is what we do. And so one of the things that we do uh, a lot in our home is we sit down for dinner. I mean, that's where we have our family time. And so mm-hmm. most nights a week we're around the table either laughing or fighting or <laughs> both, both or whatever. And it's just a good time for us. It's when we have our family time and catch up. And I remember thinking... You know, that's something I, I didn't always have growing up, and mm-hmm. I just thought how, how awesome that was. And so his family didn't even know. It was just a, a witness to me, kind of planted a seed inside of me. Yeah, so. that's beautiful. All yeah. right, numero six. So Ryan and you have something in common that you'll have done on-campus college ministry. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite aspect of that, working with specifically that college-age group? Yeah, here's what I loved about college-age compared to maybe working with younger people, teenagers, junior high kids, and then and then working with adults moving forward is is that um, college students becoming young adults have the ability to begin to to really learn the faith and and begin to implement it into their life. Their maturity socially begins to grow up and so they're able to really adapt the faith, take it on for themselves, called faith ownership and gain traction in their life. And so I loved working one-on-one with students or in small groups and helping them navigate their faith through through everyday life. And like what Ryan was saying, what he does, the work with SPO, is really teaching discipleship. How, how, what does it look like f- to follow Christ? I think that when someone becomes a young adult, particularly in their college years and moving in, into adulthood, they they have the, 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 the mental, the emotional capacity to know what that really means. And so you see a lot of movement, whereas the younger kids, you know, their maturity level is kind of more up and down, right? Mm. And so I love I love seeing people gain traction in their life and move forward in Christ and really take ownership of their faith and become a disciple. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, there's your six-pack, Paul, of questions. Right there, the six-pack of questions. So great interview with Ryan O'Hara. You can find him on his website, Ryan O'Hara. Um, dot org. Of course, you can listen to the show anytime on podcasts, paulgeorge.la, iTunes, Google Play, all over the place, SoundCloud. It's the Paul George Show. We'll be back next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.